All right, let's turn to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 9 with the fifth seal. The fifth seal. We've looked at the first four. Let me read, and you can read along with me, verses 9 through 14. When he, one of the living creatures, remember, or Jesus, rather, uh, opens the seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, while both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, you've not left us to navigate dangerous waters and troublesome times without a roadmap. You've given us a very clear roadmap. You've given us the light. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. You've not left us to stumble in the darkness. Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you especially for this book of Revelation that you've told us in chapter 1 has a special blessing for those who read it, those who hear it, and those who take it to heart. Lord, we ask that once again today you would instruct us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us those things that you want us to learn today and continue to prepare us not only for what lies ahead in this life, but for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus opens the fifth seal. We saw at the beginning of chapter 6 the opening of the first four seals, which released the, what we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one, the white horse, was the Antichrist, as you will recall, because he's a false messiah. Jesus is the prince of peace. The Antichrist is a fake prince of peace, and so he rides forth on a white horse, remember, conquering with a bow, not a sword, and so it speaks of a, a peaceful conquering, if you will, by persuasion, by coercion, and so forth. And my wife and I were talking on the way over here because about the whole, you know, situation that we're in right now and the growing influence of the Chinese Communist Party. We saw some of that in the video was it last week or the week before? Week before? By the way, that YouTube got taken down because of that video. But um, President Trump had done a lot to try to reverse the influence and the impact that the Communist Chinese Party was having on our nation. But now we have people coming into power who are in bed with the Communist Chinese Party, so things are going to begin to flip back the other way now. And we were talking about you know, the uh, reports of Chinese Communist Party military training in Canada with the Canadian military and the reason supposedly being that so that they could train for cold weather conditions. Why the Canadians would be doing that, I have no idea, or maybe I do. Their prime minister is a very liberal individual, Trudeau. But then there are other rumors, which I don't know that they've been substantiated, that there are also Communist Chinese forces across the border in Mexico right now. 
But as we talked about it, my wife and I, they've already taken such a strong hold in our nation through economics, through the media. Large parts of the entertainment industry are now owned and controlled by China. The media, the various media outlets the part of the, that are part of the fake news receive financial contributions, if you will, from the Chinese Communist Party in order to run articles that are favorable to the Chinese. You probably already know this. So I was telling my wife, I don't really think that we're going to see any kind of a military incursion from the Chinese Communist Party because they've already got so much control in our country and now they have even more control due to the people that are coming into power that it's going to be a soft, gentle takeover, if you will. Anyway, the Antichrist the false Christ on the white horse, the rider on the red horse war, as we talked about, I think, perhaps last week or the week before. The peace won't last very long. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. There are going to be those who do resist, those who do rebel against this imposition of power by the Antichrist, which will result in various wars and conflicts. The beginning of the tribulation, as you know, there'll be a peace treaty. We talked about it from Daniel chapter 9 between Israel and all of her enemies. And that'll cause the whole world to say, well, whew, we can take a breath. There's peace now. And then we have this world leader that's just bringing everyone together. But it won't last. And then it will give way to the red horse to war. The third one, the rider on the black horse, famine. Remember the scales. Finally, the, uh, the fourth the rider on the pale horse where we saw about one-fourth of the world's population dying off from all the, uh, the effects of all these things, the war, the pestilence, the famine, and so forth. And now we get to this fifth seal, and John says that he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Now, in Leviticus chapters 4, 5, 8, and 9 it tells us that the blood of the sacrifices under the Old Testament sacrificial system, the blood was poured out at the base of the altar. And so we see under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. We see a couple things here. One, the souls of those who had been slain, more proof that the soul lives on after physical death. They'd been martyred on the earth, but their souls are now at the base of the throne of God, or the base of the altar, if you will. This idea that they were slain means that they will be victims of persecution during the tribulation. They were offered up as sacrifices to the Lord, their blood spilled by the dark forces of the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 7, it was granted to him, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, some would say, well, here we are in the middle of Revelation, chapter 13. The Antichrist is making war with the saints. So how can you pre-tribbers tell us that we're going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation if the Antichrist, deep into the tribulation, is making war with the saints? Well, the point is there will be people converted to Christ during the tribulation. In fact, I've said many times, I believe the greatest revival in the history of the church will take place right after the rapture. 
when millions of Christians all over this planet disappear, the light bulb is going to go on for many people. So the fact that he's making war with the saints does not indicate that we will be here. There are some blessings, there are some perks for taking a stand for Christ here and now and not waiting till the one world government comes into existence, which is, we're right on the verge of it right now. Revelation 13, 15, he, this is the false prophet who will be working in conjunction with the Antichrist. He will be the leader of the one world religion. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Whatever that's going to be, there's been speculations about holograms, about robots and different things. There will be an image of the beast set up in the temple in Jerusalem. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Very interesting. Others have speculated a clone or something along those lines. We'll find out when it happens, but we'll be watching from the, the balcony. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Again, that group obviously would be the ones who refuse the mark, the ones who receive Christ. They refuse to worship the image of the beast because they're now worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation. They will be killed. They will be martyred. Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones, and on the, this is after the tribulation, the great white throne judgment. I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Notice the beheading. And it's interesting Lately, we've heard more and more talk from different groups about guillotines. Who would have thought? Takes you back to the French Revolution. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, again... I would recommend to anyone here today that's not made a firm commitment to Christ or anybody watching on the internet, this is a really good time to get right with God because it's not going to be a pretty picture once the tribulation begins and we're very, very close to it even now. And for those who would look at this and be skeptical, I mean, right now there are people in our own country who are calling for the purging of anybody who is Christian, conservative, supports the president. And some of them, I guarantee you, would be more than happy to execute us right now. If that sounds extreme, I really don't think it is. There's that much evil, there's that much hatred, there's that much deception. Not just in other parts of the world. It's kind of like cancer, it's kind of like the 911. These horrible events happen, but until they strike close to home, they don't really seem that real but they're getting closer and closer to home every day. Again, like I said last week, I'm not trying to strike fear and terror into anyone's hearts here, but I think God wants us to have our eyes open. I told my wife on the way here, listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? One will put a 1,000 to flight, two will put 10,000 to flight. As believers, we have nothing to fear. 
And believers have been martyred for their faith for thousands of years, by the way. We shouldn't even fear that. Because if that happens, we're with Jesus instantly. By the way, I want to point out something as we are getting now into this real meat, I would say, of the book of Revelation. The uh, seals, the trumpets, the bowls, the whole nine yards, if you will. Revelation is not always chronological, especially now that we've gotten past chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 4, we saw the rapture of the church. But now as we get into the real meat of this tribulation period and the second coming of Christ, it's not always chronological. That confuses people sometimes. It bounces back and forth between heaven, as you've noticed. Right now we're in the heavenly part where Jesus is opening the seals. And then that reveals things that are going to be happening on the earth. It bounces back and forth between heaven and the earth and between an overview mode and a rolling narrative. So keep that in mind. We'll, we'll try to point that out as we go along. But it's not always chronological. We're told that they were slain for two things. The word of God and for the testimony which they held. So these tribulation martyrs will be slain for two reasons. One, they will take an unwavering stand for the word of God, boldly pro proclaiming the truth of the scriptures as the divinely inspired, God-breathed, inerrant Word of God. No compromise, no watering down, no alterations. And even now we can see that there is a growing contingency within the general populace that has a very negative attitude towards the Word of God, and even within the church. There are many within the church that don't embrace the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God. They embrace the parts that they like, they embrace the parts that make them feel good. But if there's something in the Bible they don't like, they just remove it. They ignore it. They cross it out. Or they come out with a new paraphrased version like these new genderless Bibles. You've heard about those, right? It was quite a number of years ago. We were still over in the shopping center over here where CVS is now. So that's going back to at least... 2008, but I, uh, I forget what the teaching was on, but I was um, thinking, I'll bet you anything, there's an LGBTQ Bible. Never heard of one. Nobody had ever told me about one. I'd never seen one, but I had a strong feeling that there probably was one, so I went on and Googled it, if you will, and certainly right there on uh, Amazon, you could purchase the LGBT. I don't know if the Q had been added yet or not. Definitely an LGBT Bible, and I think it might have had a Q with it as well. <laughs> yep, a special translation just for the LGBTQ community. And so every day there's more and more defiling, degrading, polluting, and diluting of the Word of God. And so what we see here in the tribulation these believers who get converted after the rapture and they take a stand for the word of God, it's going to cost them their lives. Have you ever heard this expression? I kind of like this one. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Obviously, with these tribulation martyrs, there's enough evidence and they will be convicted and they will be executed. 
The other thing that gets them executed is the testimony which they held. And if you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before King Nebuchadnezzar, they, they refused to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar, remember? And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Again, some tremendous encouragement. Now, we know these tribulation saints will be martyred. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were protected from the fire. And again, my point being, we have nothing to fear because God will protect us one way or another. But with these tribulation martyrs, not only do they take a stand for the truth of God's word, their testimony is this. They will refuse to worship the beast, the Antichrist. They will refuse to receive his mark, pledging their allegiance only to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for those two reasons, they will be martyred. They will be executed. Verse 10. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? As I've already pointed out, I'll point it out again, it would appear that two things happened very near the beginning of the tribulation. One, a great worldwide revival. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. We all know that we are flawed, imperfect vessels, do we not? And although our desire is to be a good witness and a good testimony for Christ, we don't always do that well, let's be honest. Sometimes our attitudes aren't that great. And sadly, we know there are many people who are turned off and put off by Christianity because of Christians. Is that an honest statement, do you think? I mean, it's embarrassing, it's sad, but it's true. It's humbling, and it's okay to be humble. We should be humble before God and admit our imperfections, our sinfulness. As believers, we strive not to sin. Our desire is not to sin, but we're battling the old man, the flesh. It's a lifelong battle. And so what I find very interesting and what I believe to be true, our departure will result in the more salvations than our presence here ever did. And that's another reason I believe so strongly in the pre-tribulational rapture because God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. And so God accomplishes two things at the same time. He gets His kids out of here like any good father would do, right? I've, I've used the analogy before. If your kid's standing on the railroad tracks and there's a train speeding down the tracks, are you going to just let him stand there and get hit? Or are you going to pull him out of the way? If he runs out in the street in front of traffic, are you going to say, that stupid kid? Well, I guess he'll get what he deserves. No, you're going to pull him out from in front of the car, aren't you? That's the rapture. But at the same time as he's getting us out of here, he's bringing massive numbers of people to himself because when they see the Christians disappear, they're going to know that everything they've been hearing was true. God's preparing people's hearts even now to receive Christ after the rapture of the church. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Two things that will happen near the beginning of the tribulation. One, a great worldwide revival, 
and two, the institution of the mark of the beast. The most likely scenario at this point, I would say, is a microchip. There's also uh, rumors out there that Bill Gates has developed some kind of a digital tattoo. So it could be either or, both, a combination. The institution of the mark of the beast and a mass execution of those who refuse to take it. This is even more graphic today than it ever has been. Whether it be a chip, an injection, a vaccine, combination. There's talk about a chip being integrated into the vaccine. And they're going to tell us, and they're already telling us, by the way, this is going to protect you against COVID. Or what other, others, Ebola, chikungunya, we mentioned some of these these other uh, viruses have kind of become old hat in the face of this pandemic. But not that long ago, Zika was a big deal, chikungunya, Ebola. We can protect you from all of these things, but you have to take this injection. And the people who are refusing to take it are endangering the whole planet. Have you heard this kind of language? Terrorism and violence are rampant because we've encouraged it and allowed it. We can control all of this with the ability to track everyone. Contact tracing, how many of you have heard of that? How many of you had to fill out your name and phone numbers if you've gone to a restaurant or somewhere? Yeah, I have. Now, whether or not I used my real name and phone number, that's another story. <laughs> now, I didn't say that I didn't. <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. <laughs> but every day we're getting a clearer picture of what this is all going to look like because we happen to be living it right at the moment. Verse 11. Oh, and by the way, I want to mention this. In case you think it sounds like the martyrs are whining and complaining here, I don't think so. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? I think they're simply asking, how long is it going to take all this to play out? They know, the martyrs know, that God is our avenger. He is our defender. And they're with him now. But they're just asking, what's the timeline? What's the time frame? Even though once you're with him, you're outside of the realm of space and time, but you can still see from the earthly perspective what's going on. How long, O oh Lord? I don't think they're complaining. I don't think they're whining. But they are recognizing the fact that because of God's character, his nature... He is holy, He is just, He is perfect, He is righteous and merciful. But all of those attributes require that God judge sin. That's why without Christ, there's no hope for humanity. There's no hope for the human race. Because God's very nature, His perfection demands that sin must be judged. 
And so the only question mark is when. We know for how long it's going to be a seven-year period. When? Very soon. But they are acknowledging and recognizing that God's nature demands justice. And by the way, the human heart cries out for justice. Unfortunately, we live in an unjust world. Now, perhaps in the past, one could argue that our nation perhaps has been the most just nation ever to exist on this planet. But as what we, from what we've witnessed recently, justice in this country no longer exists. And at the end of the day, and people become embittered because their heart cries out for justice. They have a friend, a family member, a loved one that's been murdered or raped or had something horrible happen to them, and then nothing really seems to happen to the perpetrator, at least not equal punishment like the Bible talks about, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. People go through their lives embittered, discouraged, disappointed because they see no justice. You must look to God for your justice. He is the only one who is truly just. And by the way, that doesn't always come in the time frame that we would like to see it. The ultimate fulfillment of God's justice is what we're reading about right here, right now. When he pours out his wrath on an unbelieving world, he has to. People say, if God is so loving, why would he do this? Why would he pour out his wrath on this world? Because his nature demands it. But having said that, he gives humanity every opportunity to avoid that judgment, to avoid that wrath by putting their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior of our souls. Verse 11, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. Hang in there, guys. Chill out. It's all going to be taken care of. Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. So first we see the white robe, the garment of the righteous, those who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, Isaiah 61, 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What is the traditional color of a bridal gown? White. Our robes of righteousness, the white robe given to these martyrs. The gift from God. Revelation 3, 4. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now, I had an interesting thought about this. It's become kind of ridiculous and silly, but because of all the efforts to turn us all against each other, to foment and incite a racial war, and then the big push and the big purge is against whiteness. 
Now, Jesus loves the little children, all of the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight, right? A true believer should not be a racist, cannot be a racist. But this, the script has been flipped to the point that even the word white or the color white is now being denigrated and defamed because all white people are supposedly evil. And yet, we're going to all be getting white robes. <laughs> There's no problem with the color white. The problem is with the hearts and minds of people who have not been converted and filled with the Spirit of God. So I, I, got, I hate to tell this atheistic, secular, humanistic, Darwinistic, satanic world, but white ain't going away. And I don't mean that in an ethnic sense, a racial sense, but we're all going to be wearing white robes in the presence of God. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's silly. It's ridiculous. But, of course, did you hear, um, I believe Congress passed some kind of a legislation, or I guess it was for terminology that's to be used when the Congress is in session. You can't use terms like mother, father, son, daughter. Everything has to be gender neutral now. Did you hear about that? I told you guys years ago, Chuck Missler said probably 20 years ago, 15 at least, uh, we are now in the age of deception. And we had a conference called The Age of Deception a number of years ago. We have an entire DVD set or CD set you can get if you talk to Larry Hedrick. It's up on YouTube. At least I think it's still there. <laughs> you know, I wondered how long it was going to take. I felt kind of bad that I'd never been banned. <laughs> so I actually feel pretty good about that. I kind of felt like a second-class preacher for not getting banned, so I'm, I'm encouraged. But I said a number of years ago, we've now moved past the age of deception. We are now officially in the age of insanity, and it's absolutely true. Nebuchadnezzar went crazy when he rejected God. Saul went crazy when he rejected God. That's the end result of rejecting God, fighting back against God. It will make you crazy. And you've seen it. I know you have. You've seen the crazy in your neighbors, your friends, your family members, and your co-workers. And don't tell me you haven't. You have seen the craziness. I mean, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. We need to pray for them. But we're in a world gone crazy, and that's why God very soon is going to pour out His wrath on an unbelieving world. It was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. So God encourages the martyrs, be patient. They're just hungering to see God's justice, to see His righteousness, to see His glory. Because that, everything is ultimately all about the glory of God. Do you know that? All of creation it was created for His glory. We were created for His glory. Right now, His glory is being tamped down, squashed, smashed, and spit upon on this planet. 
And he's not going to allow that much longer. I guarantee you. So he encourages the martyrs to be patient as he pours out his wrath over the seven-year period of the tribulation until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so there's going to be many more martyrs before the horrors of the tribulation are completed. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. So the sixth seal here, the fifth seal had to do with martyrdom. The sixth seal has to do with global calamity and cosmic signs. There was a great earthquake. And so, yeah, earthquakes have been increasing. I'll give you some numbers in just a moment. But this is not just an earthquake. This is a great earthquake, a devastating earthquake, just the first of many cataclysmic events. I mean, there's hardly a day that goes by that we don't see somewhere in the news talk about how the big one's coming, you know, for Southern California, and that we're learning more and more about various faults, even here in New Mexico, places that have never had earthquakes, and that's one of the points we'll make here in just a moment. But up, I learned this after my son and his had moved up to the Seattle area, and he has a family, and now they're living in Olympia, Washington. There's a massive fault up there, too. And there's a lot of rumbling and grumbling going on in this planet right now. A great earthquake. And we know what happens with great earthquakes, don't we? They trigger more earthquakes. They also create tsunamis quite often, depending on where they're located, the, the epicenter. Looking at a global magnitude of M6 or greater, from 1980 to 89, there was an average of 108.5 earthquakes per year. From 2000 to 2009, the planet averaged 160.9 earthquakes per year. That's a 38.9% increase of M6 plus earthquakes in recent years. And then a little more recently, NBC News in 2014 the annual number of great, and this is their wording, great earthquakes nearly tripled over the last decade. Tripled. Providing a reminder to Americans that unruptured faults like those in the northwest United States might be due for a big one. Between 2004 and 2014, 18 earthquakes with magnitudes of 8.0 or more rattled subduction zones around the globe. Have you ever heard of the Ring of Fire there in the South Pacific? There's an increase of 265% over the average rate of the previous century, which saw 71 great quakes, according to a report to the annual meeting of the Geological Society of America this week in Vancouver, British Columbia. So even from the secular world, the scientific world, we have statistics and data that indicate an increasing number of earthquakes and what they call great earthquakes. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. Joel prophesied about 800 years before Christ 
that this would occur in the last days. Joel 2.31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So again, apparently there'll be a solar eclipse as well as a blood moon in this time period of the tribulation. We've seen some of these already in recent times. 13, the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. So what this seems to be referring to is what they call winter figs. It's those that do not ripen at the proper time, and they fall from the tree very easily. Old, out-of-date fruit will easily fall from the tree when subjected to a strong wind. Winds of change, winds of judgment. This could be comets, meteors, falling stars, or skyborne phenomena associated with modern warfare. All could be all of the above. We heard just recently how a, uh, was it a meteor uh, passed dangerously close to the earth. Did you hear about that? And we've seen these movies they've made in recent years about, uh, you know, a, a meteor striking the earth. Have any of you ever seen the meteor crater in northern Arizona? The meteor crater, I should say. That thing is amazing. That thing is massive. And there's indications that way back early in the in human history that there was a massive meteor that struck the earth and shifted the tilt of the earth on its axis creating the ice age so it's not like it's never happened before all of these things are on the horizon verse 14 then the sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. I don't know about you guys, I've always dreamed of living on an island. Like a Hawaiian island, maybe? I'm not so sure that's a great idea, although, like I said, we won't be here for this anyway, so I guess it's okay. We could all retire to a nice island somewhere because we'll be raptured. I don't know about you guys, but this description in verse 14, to me, to me this sounds an awful lot like a, an atomic bomb, doesn't it? Have you seen the, the uh, video footage of nuclear bombs, atomic bombs exploding? The sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up. Now here's another possibility. It is possible that an outbreak of nuclear war will result in one or more massive earthquakes. Can you certainly imagine that a nuclear bomb being detonated could create earthquakes? Absolutely. Right now, there's concern about the fracking. That's why we have some of these anti-fracking groups, because fracking's been real big in Oklahoma, North Dakota, different places. Oklahoma has had hundreds and hundreds of Small earthquakes. Have you heard about this? Which Oklahoma never used to have earthquakes. I mean, it's not really known as an earthquake belt. But they're, they're speculating that as a result of all the fracking, because fracking is where they create these underground explosions that put cracks, fissures in the rock to release the oil that's underneath there. And they're believing that all this fracking could be causing these earthquakes. So if, if fracking can cause these smaller earthquakes, you can imagine what the detonation of one or more 
nuclear weapons could create. One or more massive earthquakes at various locations around the earth. And by the way, keep in mind, this was written at the end of the first century by John the Apostle, the revelation that he received from Jesus Christ. How would a first century man like John describe nuclear warfare? He never heard of a bomb, certainly not an atomic bomb, but he does know what the, the results look like, the manifestation. The sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up. That's exactly what it looks like when a nuclear or atomic bomb is detonated. Luke 21, 11, there will be great earthquakes in various places. Now, the King James says diverse places, and some understand this to mean that unusual places, places where you've not seen earthquakes before, places where earthquakes do not normally happen, and we're beginning to see that around the planet as well. But certainly, earthquakes created by something like a nuclear atomic bomb could create earthquakes in places where they haven't had them before. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. We're already seeing signs of that. I saw um, one commentary about China and how uh, this pandemic has affected their ability to, to farm and to grow their crops and so forth. And it's most likely going to result in an extreme food shortage this spring, this next coming spring and summer, because of people unable to work the farms there. And we've seen, we talked about this last week, we've been in the stores and seen the empty shelves, right? But that's nothing compared to what's going to happen in the tribulation. Famines, pestilences, I'd say COVID's a pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Anything and everything you've ever seen in a sci-fi movie, put it all together. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Again, this sounds very much like nuclear warfare, earthquake, tsunami, or a series of tsunamis resulting in the islands of the earth being engulfed in water, and even perhaps in some cases water reaching up to the tops of mountains, mountains falling as a result of massive earthquakes and or atomic bombs. I find, as we get deeper and deeper into this, and we will continue to do so for quite some time, for believers, I think it's interesting and even exciting. Maybe you think I'm crazy, maybe that sounds crazy. But I've been longing my entire adult life to see Jesus. I've been longing my entire adult life to enter into his eternal kingdom. So for me, I find it interesting, I find it exciting, but the other side of the coin, more and more terrifying and unnerving for the unbelieving masses. We must pray that God gives us opportunity to bring as many to Christ as possible before these things begin to happen. And they're already beginning to happen. Jesus likened it unto birth pains, remember? A woman in labor, 
It's happening. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, again, we're so thankful that you have made these things known to us, Lord. I can't imagine what it would be like to be living in the times that we're living in without this information. Lord, I don't know about everybody else here today. I hope and pray that they feel the same way I do, but it gives me great comfort just to know, Lord, that you've not hidden. You said you've made all things known to us, Lord. Unlike many of these false belief systems, these cult groups who operate in secrecy, behind closed doors, you have to move up through the ranks and get to different levels like a 33rd degree mason before you find out what's really going on. Lord, you don't treat us like that. You've made all things known to us. That which is hidden has been made known. That which was in the darkness has been brought into the light. And we thank you and we praise you for it, Lord. Lord, we will never be able to stand before you and say, whoa, I didn't know. I had no idea because you've made it known to us. We ask for your help, for your wisdom, for your guidance, for your strength as we are navigating now some very treacherous waters in these last days. But as we have discussed here today, Father, we need not fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear. Your perfect love casts out all fear. And Lord, nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. And Father, we pray for anyone here this morning or anyone watching on the internet that's not really sure where they stand with you right now. Lord, we know that now is the time. Your word says today is the day of salvation. We should never put it off till tomorrow because there might not be a tomorrow for us. Lord, I pray for anyone and everyone in need of salvation that they would this very moment confess their sins before you, Father, repent, and invite Jesus Christ into their life to be their own personal Lord and Savior. And that's how easy it is. So I encourage anyone that's not sure of their salvation that you'd make that decision right now. And Lord, before we close, Father, let's have people raise their hands. Anybody who needs prayer, raise your hand right now. I'm going to pray for you. It might be for you. It might be for a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, whoever it is. Raise your hand. Father God, you see these hands? Lord, we're trying to be careful here and social distance to a degree. So we're not laying hands on people right now, but we are praying. And Lord, we know that it's your Holy Spirit that does the work. Lord, we don't have to physically lay hands on. We like to, but we don't have to. Lord, you can touch anyone, anywhere, anytime. And right now, these folks that have raised their hands, Lord, you know their hearts. You know each one. Lord, if it's a need for physical healing, I pray for healing. You are the God who heals. You're the healer of our bodies. We ask you to pour out your healing oil upon all those in need of physical healing right now, Lord. Father, for those in need of mental, emotional healing, strengthening, Lord, touch their hearts, touch their minds, give them soundness of mind, give them the mind of Christ. Lord, help them to take every thought captive and not allow the enemy to set up strongholds in their hearts and minds. And Lord, if the, if the enemy has already set up those strongholds, we ask you to tear them down. Lord, you, your word says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. So right now we agree together that any strongholds the enemy has built up in our hearts and minds will be torn down by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance for those who need it, for encouragement for relief and release from anxiety and worry and fear and doubt. And Father, for provision for those struggling 
in the area of finances and provision, Lord, that you would meet their needs as you have promised to do, that you would take care of us. You said we shouldn't even worry about those things, that even uh, you take care of the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, how much more will you take care of us? Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and then you promise that all these things will be added unto us. We thank you and we praise you for hearing our prayers now. We ask you to receive our final offering of praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.